Society General, Global Head of Information Security, Mr. Stefano Napo, is famously quoted as saying, Threat is a mirror of security gaps. Cyber threat is mainly a reflection of our weaknesses. An accurate vision of digital and behavioral gaps is crucial, therefore, for consistent cyber resilience. Welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. Cyber criminals are always on the prowl for the latest exploit. We all know that. So it should be no surprise that COVID-19 offered them a great bonanza when all of a sudden, employees had to work from home. In the mad scramble to equip staff with tools to work remotely, the conditions became a cyber criminal's paradise. But we are not here to blame anyone. What we are here is to learn what leadership should be doing to address the gaps that Mr. Napo is alluding to and what approaches may be best for us to plug the gaps momentarily and permanently. With us today is Mr. Sharif El-Nabawi, Vice President Engineering, Asia-Pacific and Japan at CrowdStrike. Sharif, welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be with you here today. What exactly is CrowdStrike? CrowdStrike focuses on building protection for um, workloads, which includes endpoints. And from day one of the inception, the co-founder had the idea of that the uh, traditional uh, security endpoint software was not stopping attacks and there was a focus on malware versus the actual breach. So from day one, they, they created the uh, 100% cloud native technology that was focused really on protecting every single workload with zero reliance on being on site or zero reliance on a hybrid models and obviously integrating into that a global threat intelligence through our services and the threat intel team, providing the level of security that we offer now. And we've, throughout this journey in the last nine years, CrowdStrike added a number of modules to address not only endpoint protection, but to look at threat intelligence, to look at IT and security operations, to focus on managed services, and also add elements of everything that can revolve around and the uh, helping with the IT operations for the customers. So CrowdStrike is different from the fact that it focuses on EDR for endpoint. From day one, it's been 100% cloud focused. If we look at the report that was issued this year, are the findings of the report any more uh, unusual? I mean, I, I have to admit, I've been getting a lot of uh, reports, especially coming towards the end of the year. By and large, they're roughly all very similar in terms of messaging. The numbers may be slightly different, but by and large, they're all saying the same thing. We're unsecure regardless of what we're doing. We remain unsecure. Sometimes they point to people as issues. Uh, sometimes they point to it. And, and devices. There are lots of uh, areas to blame, but at the end of the day, they all boil down to the same message. We remain unsecure. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's, it's a good point that you mentioned here. It's the level of security and the level of maturity that you have and, and, and how that against the risk and how that plays a part in, in, in reducing uh, your exposure, right? So the report specifically that we're talking about here and the findings from the survey had a number of very important findings for APAC specifically uh, since we're focusing here on our region and when it comes to the nation-state intrusions and ransomware attacks specifically after COVID-19 outbreak there is a massive spike and big problem that we've seen and the responders of the survey uh, that like 27 percent of them said that they paid the ransom here in APAC which is a larger percentage compared to US and EMEA and on top of that as well, um, it cost an organization an average of 1.2 million 
which is again higher than the cost, average cost of ransom for US and EMEA. So this to us is a major finding because this is a global survey. Mm. And at the end of the year, you and EMEA here based in APJ, APAC, and, uh, and we need to see a, an understanding of the current regional perspective. So this is one of the big findings we've had here. The focus on ransomware and nation state uh, attacks and the level of responders, the level of their awareness to those attacks is very high as well. Uh, across the board. And you mentioned that there's a higher level uh, willingness to pay a higher premium for for ransomware attacks. If we speculate on the motivations for being more willing to pay, is it what would it be? Is it the lack of understanding of what we need to do in order to protect ourselves? Is it just complete surrender at one end of the spectrum? See, Alan, it's at the end of the day for every organization that falls a, you know, a victim to a ransomware attack they have a very hefty decision and a hard decision to make as executives because at the end of the day, they have to protect their employees, customers, and shareholders. So that decision that they take whether to pay or not has to take a multitude of, of consideration into considerations into effect. So everything from uh, you know uh, the regulation, can we actually pay? Are we going to be sanctioned by certain you know organizations, specifically in the U.S. Department of Treasury, if we do pay? When we pay as well, we got to remember that we are, we're, we're encouraging the victims to do more of this. And at the last part is the risk. If we pay, would you even get your data back? Uh, they might give you a decryption key, but is that necessarily the, the right one? Is, is, the, is, is, is the tool going to take that decryption key and give you your data back? And even if they do so, what's the level of guarantee that they will not do the um, exploitation on the other part which is leaking your data and, and selling it. We've seen auctions in the black market of data for customers so th- at the end of the day it's a very hard decision for the executive but in general we would say uh, ideally you should not pay the ransom and you should think about the ways to mitigate the, the reasons for why this particular attack happened because even if you pay and you rebuild your security infrastructure there's some things that you can't regain easily which is your reputation uh, as a business and your responsibility and how you're perceived by your customers as well as an organization when you have been leaked. So at the end of the day, uh, we, we would say that there's a different levels that executives would take, but it's a very tough decision. And I think an APAC majority, one is because, back to your point, is the awareness level. What can I do when I'm, when I'm under attack? Um, the authority in every, in every different country is different. Like if you report around somewhere, what level of action will be taken? How quick will you get your any type of response or any type of investigation going? And thirdly is, do I have time as a business to stay at risk and my whole business is crippled or shall I just pay and go on, right? Um, other more aware customers would say, we have to investigate this. We have to involve the right technology and process and people to help us mitigate the situation at the right time. Let me ask you this. With regards to the report itself, do you see a preference towards doing security in-house or outsourcing it, as in via things like managed security services? It's, uh, I mean, the shortage generically, again, and it's related to APAC from the survey responders, is that in APAC specifically, they felt that there's a very large shortage in terms of the skill needed when it comes to security expertise um, and specifically security uh, practitioners with a decent level of experience um, so which resulted in the fact that people are now the customers and organization are now more open to listen about 
um, the value proposition when it comes to uh, MSSB or MDR to understand how can that complement them until they get the right team in place how can they use resources so definitely specifically with the res- with the pandemic and everybody being sent home rapidly to work from home uh, organizations lost a lot of people as well so they had to revert to using third parties to help them in protecting monitoring uh, their security infrastructure specifically on the endpoint side let me ask you this i mean we've had instances very high level media coverage in the uh, in the past of uh, large branded companies that have taken a managed uh, security service uh, option, the pathway for them. And then when they, they got breached, there's a lot of finger pointing internally and externally, both uh, to the teams internal, to the organization external, and to the service provider. Does this mean that there is still a misconception as to who owns the responsibility for securing an organization and to what extent should outsource service providers be accountable for for any data breach that happens and, and i'm not just talking about managed security service provider but even when uh cloud service providers that themselves offer these you know platforms that they say we are secure we invest a lot in securing our infrastructure and then you you get a hacking that happens every now and then yeah so uh, interesting question to the first part where you mentioned uh, let's focus first on the MSSP and, and MDRs. Definitely, there has to be the right, um, uh, you know, contractual agreement uh, and, and a focus specifically on uh, how the uh, rules of engagement are, the standard operating procedures, uh, to be very clear with any of your vendors as an organization when you're working with them. And in organizations uh, where you have that level of, you want an assurance as well, there are, for example, in, in CrowdStrike, we offer what we call the complete um, breach, which is a warranty if you are breached, uh, assuming that you purchase that, that MDR uh, complete solution from us. So there are organizations that take this very seriously and, and there's there are always ways of contractually understanding what is the level of protection needed and what is the level of assurance from both sides to make that happen. When it comes to your second part of the question, which is around the cloud providers, absolutely, they state, they state it very clearly in the it's that it's your responsibility as an organization to protect the data and they do provide a certain level and they provide the certifications for their, for their storage, for the cloud computing, etc. But at the end of the day, if an attack happens, um, most likely if, if it's a pro- problem from your side as an organization, whether through leakage or a, 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 an intrusion that happened through a, a leakage of credentials, etc., um, that is, at the end of the day, your problem and yours. So organizations have to balance and understand very well what they're signing for whenever it comes to a, a storage or or a, a SaaS model that they're working with in the cloud and balance that as well and understand from a perspective of security, how do, what do I have to do to secure my data that I'm going to place on this cloud? You're VP of engineering, so let, let's take this to a technical discussion a little bit. There are two schools of thoughts in cybersecurity. One is layered security and the other one is defense in depth. For so many years, I've been hearing security vendors like Symantec talk about defense in depth as an approach, the better approach. Really, I mean, realistically, is one better than the other? And I, I can understand that I can't afford both of them. Otherwise, I'd be in the same boat that this uh, head of security for a large public organization in Hong Kong saying, 
We've invested so much money every year on security and we still get these uh, attacks happening against us. So what are we doing wrong? At the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's you're protecting, from, let's take it from a point of a, a, a victim, i.e. the organizations and an, an attacker. Um, you just need to have one, they, they're at the strength point here because you just need to have one weakness point and then they, if they exploit it, they win, right? You can protect endlessly, but nobody knows that you're protecting well. And when that attack happens, everything else is forgotten. So the point here is you will always, there will always be the advantage that they have but at the same time, is that methodology that you're talking about, whether it's defense in depth or layered, has been always focused on the traditional model we have around our networks. This traditional model has been completely challenged now, Alan. I mean, look at where we are now. We're all sat at home. We're working from our endpoints. The endpoints have become the actual perimeter. So whilst whether you're working on your bring your own device, your own laptop for the company, or whether you're working on a company um, um, asset that they you know sent you and shipped you while you are at home uh, still you have to protect this so all those firewalls are in place the data centers you know trying to route the traffic back to the data center and and apply layered security on it that's not happening now for, for a simple reason we are all connecting directly to our SaaS in the cloud we're all connecting directly to all types of um, you know our our Office 365, etc. Everything that we have on the cloud, we are not going back to a data center. And if and if you are to go back to the data center, we're not applying the same local rules of security. So the model itself has been challenged. We believe strongly in CrowdStrike that you need to believe your your workload that you're on, whether that's an endpoint, your cloud, you know your cloud uh, provider. If you're actually on, uh, if you've got stacks, whether that's actually containers. Or, or workloads in the cloud, you have to protect those because that's where your data is going to reside on. So we focus here on on that model of protect an attack before it happens, prevention level, and if it happens, how do you detect it and respond to it quickly? Um, versus looking at whether layered security or depend, defense in depth. What should be that one question or questions that the CEO and the CFO ask of the CIO whenever this uh, at the end of the year whenever the new budget requests come in and say hey, here's a oh, yes. percentage of this going to go to security what should they be asking uh, generally if we look now the main thing that has happened in the COVID-19 is everyone has been pushed to an overnight digital transformation uh, literally we have CEOs that have spoken to us in the organization and said that their plan for two or three years of digital transformation happened overnight, right? And that's a reality now because suddenly everything has to be 100% digital. You had to go in a you know work from home model. There's no reliance on being in, a, in an office or tied into a certain data center, etc. So what does that mean? It means that it, the CIO is tasked with the digital transformation, right? And the CISO um, then has to secure that trans digital transformation so before we we jump and embark on a digital transformation we have to do really the security transformation understand first is this model secure along the way in every implementation we're doing if we're going to work if we're going to push all our workloads to the cloud uh, what which type of, of security we have there um, you know the majority of the leaks happen from the configuration for the, the bad configuration of the workloads are we protected with that? Do we have technology that can uh, scan, understand, and, and see if we're if we have comp got configuration misflows, right? So every part of the digital transformation, we need to look at how secure it is first. So if I am 
at the CEO or CFO levels, I'll ask really specifically with the type of data, the breaches that are happening now. We need to go on to this transformation journey and enable, but how secure is it, right? And that's where the CIO or the CISO or in some organization when they are the same person, they have to collaborate and work together very closely. And we've seen scenarios, for example, where uh, the CIO had to embark on a digital transformation overnight, but this the, the security team were not able yet to implement the right security measures, which meant that they had to look at uh, you know, a reactive situation after they've allowed everything. Pretty much like a gamble uh, of going on to the cloud or going on to digital transformation and not having the right security measures in place. As we come to the beginnings of 2021, what do you see will be important considerations for, again, the CIO and the CISO with regards to securing the enterprise? To be honest with you, the basics are the basics and they haven't changed. I think one key factor, especially with COVID and what we've seen, is the awareness level. The awareness level has been challenged. So majority of the attack, as you know, start with a phishing campaign. Phishing is still the number one on email. So we need to make our teams and our employees very aware of those types of attacks, specifically when a, a, a pandemic comes like that and the COVID theme of files, etc., becomes very highly prominent on the phishing. So we need to do a, a dry run exercise and phishing exercises with our teams internally to, uh, to make them more aware. So awareness definitely is, is the first thing we'd focus on. Secondly, is as they are investing in the digital transformation, they have to make sure that this digital transformation is mostly cloud. So they have to look at the technologies that support cloud. They have to look at the tools that are cloud native, that are actually being able to have zero reliance on being on, on the premises and be able to help them with working from home, etc. And when they focus on protection, they have to remember that in the cloud, there's workloads and they have to protect the workloads the same as they would protect their physical devices like the servers, the desktop, the mobiles, etc. And then lastly, we think about, they have to strive about the how quick can they respond to an attack. So we've got what we call the 11060 rule, a focus on everything from um, um, uh, detecting and investigating and resolution containment of an incident within uh, one to 10 minutes to 60. And, and, and if that results of the survey that came out, we're saying that the average organization takes around 117 hours to detect an incident and intrusion in APAC. And that's more than the rest of the organization, the, the global uh, timing as well in the US and EMEA as well. So focus on striving to meet higher level and quicker levels and timings of investigation and detection and containment is a key one that everyone has to think about and build the people and process um, and technology around that. Oftentimes, we don't solve a problem because we don't know what question to ask. Right? So I'm taking the position that if I'm the CISO and the CIO, maybe I'm not totally familiar with a lot of the latest and greatest in security. What should I be asking the security vendor who comes knocking at my door and ask and offering me a solution at the point in time when I'm actually reviewing my security strategy? It's a very good question. And I believe strongly that if, if I'm in the shoes of the organizations and, and seeing from our discussions day in and day out with customers, the one question I would focus about is the time to value. How long would it take me to get value out of your tool and technology and people and process behind it? in my organization. So how long would it take for me to deploy this solution? How long would it take to me, Mr. Security Vendor, to get value out of this implementation? And when would I see that? And how can you time this along the timeline? The reason I say that, Alan, is as an industry coming out of the legacy way of protecting 
endpoints. We've seen a lot of organizations at the time of pandemic come to us and say, we are shifted tens of thousands of our employees home. We need to provide protection immediately. And we can no, no longer rely on technologies that are based on site. And, and we need your help. And this is a, an important thing because if a security vendor has to be enabling the digital transformation, then they have to be 100% cloud native built in the cloud from day one versus just you know adapting themselves to the cloud or, or trying to reinforce themselves on the cloud meaning that at the end of the day you need time to value secure me on day one give me visibility on day one so those customers that i'm talking about you know when they had their thousands of tens of thousands of machines overnight shifted and we provided them the security through the sensors they were able to get the realization, the visibility immediately. So that's the first thing I would I would ask the customers to focus on. How long would I get visibility and the time to value of my tool that I've implemented? What can we expect as regards to the threat landscape, one, and the industry trying to protect enterprises against those threats? Are we still going to be in a, I don't know, catch-up mode, at least from the protection side of things? So let's, yeah, that's a good question. And at the same time, let's look at where we are now. The, the attack surface has increased dramatically. Why? For for a number of reasons. The rapid shift to the work from home model, which meant that a lot of us had to use their bring it bring their own device, and at the same time use unsecure Wi-Fi to access sensitive data. This enabled the actual attackers to do a lot of exploitation, whether that is through phishing, uh, you know, uh, robocalls, through vishing, through all types of threat intrusion vectors that they can use to get. So that will increase because we are still going to work from home for a while. And there's actually, we believe that there's no going back to the model of the office globally. For a time, there's going to be a hybrid work from anywhere. A lot of organizations already announced it, that they will adopt that model. So the attack land surface has to be clearly addressing stuff like unsecure Wi-Fi's, use of unsanctioned applications, with higher level of threats and vulnerabilities on them because at the end of the day you're not managing them how can you build a model that will protect that that's that's the that's the focus and then the attacking i mean we track around 140 threat actors in crowdstrike and our threat intel team and we understand their motives we understand their behaviors and and we, we advise the customers the one thing is that this number will not reduce there will be more coming up and because we are seeing also the attack surface evolving like for example the ransomware has evolved last year from just the usual ransomware into ransomware 2.0 where you have exploitation so not only am i gonna um you know uh, encrypt your data and ask you for a ransom i'm also gonna threaten you by posting this data on a you know leak website on and, and then be able to exploit you for more money towards that so you can see that this ransomware and ransomware as a service where groups are being specialized that can enable the spinning up of new groups. So what we're gonna see is more attackers and more groups coming up. But on the positive side, what we've got out of this whole thing as a pandemic is that we've seen uh, an increase in the in the security spend, a focus on digital transformation and securing the digital transformation journey. Uh, as a matter of fact, majority of the responders said that they, they have seen a positive outcome of their IT uh, tools and their security tools being in place because they were able to get more funding and more understanding of the nature of the threat with all the attacks happening and with the current pandemic status to get more increased funding into their 
security plans. Sheriff, thank you very much for joining me on this uh, interview today. Thank you very much. Pleasure speaking to you, Alan. That was uh, Sheriff El Nabawi, Vice President Engineering at Asia Pacific and Japan for CrowdStrike. And you are listening in to Podchats for Future CIO. See you on the next episode of Podchats for CIO. Bye for now.